If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. Today's message is another message in our series of looking at the seven I am's of Jesus. There are seven places in John's gospel where he refers to himself as I am. You remember the term or words I am is the name that the Lord gave to Moses when he stood before the burning bush and asked um, the Lord, he said, you're giving me the assignment to go down to Egypt and deliver the people of Israel out of bondage and they're gonna ask me who who sent you, by what authority, or whose authority am I doing this? What am I to say to them? And the Lord said, say to them, I am who I am, which is a term that has various meanings to it, but the primary meaning to it is that he is the eternal one. There never has been a time when God has not existed, never will be. He is, he was, he is, and he shall ever be in existence. And when Jesus said in John's gospel that he was I am before Abraham uh, he was, uh, that he was claiming deity, that he was the son of God, God in the flesh. And so there are seven times, and of course there are more than that throughout the four gospels, but we're looking at the gospel of John and we're looking at the various times that our Lord said that he was something, that I am, we've looked at I am the bread, I am the light. Today we're looking at I am the door, I am the door. So John chapter 10 and the first 10 verses of scripture are where we are today. John chapter 10, beginning with verse one. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but, uh, follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, if you don't understand it the first time, I'll repeat it. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you notice uh, down in verse six, John in recording this uh, speech of our Lord says, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them. Some translations such as the King James or others will use the word illustration, this illustration Jesus used in speaking to them. I believe the King James says parable, this parable that Jesus spoke unto them. All, any one of those translations would be accurate. I, I like the New American Standard that I'm reading from where it says this figure of speech. And the metaphor is a figure of speech. We know that a metaphor is an illustration that is used to uh, interpret or to explain 
to underscore the importance of a particular item or subject that is being discussed. And our Lord, when it came to using metaphors, uh, was a master teacher at that uh, uh, way of doing things and the way of teaching. Uh, it's amazing to me how profound our Lord uh, could teach a spiritual lesson with such simplicity, such simplicity. Uh, he talked about common things, everyday things that everyone would know. You may recall some examples. In fact, I suppose we could say that Jesus uh, used object lessons to teach spiritual lessons. You remember his story or his illustration about the lilies of the field. The lilies of the field, he said, are all decorated and adorned by the, by the Father. They don't worry about you know, food and growth and so forth, but the lilies of the field, the Lord knows about them. Look at the birds of the air. They do not spin or toil or worry about where they're going to get their next meal, and yet the Heavenly Father takes care of them. He talked about the kingdom of God uh, using a mustard seed. A mustard seed is the smallest seed that's known to us. And you plant such a small seed as a mustard seed, it germinates and grows into a beautiful large tree. He took a child one day and set the child on his knee and he said, you've got to become like little children if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And all of us remember the story about the lost sheep, the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he lost one and he left the 99 in the fold and he, and he went out to look for that lost sheep. Or when he sat down at the well, at the pool of some, uh, at the, when he talked to the Samaritan woman and he said to her, you drink of the water that comes out of this well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give to you, you'll never thirst again. It will be in you a well of water, an artesian well, so to speak, just, just pouring out like an artesian well. Then he talked about the sore, the sore who took his bad seed and went out and began to spread his seed across the field. Some fell on good soil, some on shallow, some on hard and so forth. He talked about the farmer putting his hand to the plow. And he said, once a farmer puts his hand to the plow, he doesn't look back. If he starts to look back, he's going to go zigzagging all over the field. No, he keeps his eye on whatever he's pointed out on the other side of the field. He doesn't look back. He just puts his hand to the plow and he just keeps plowing. Men are a man who wants to build a house. While a smart man won't just start building, the first thing he does is sit down, draw up a blueprint of uh, of, of the kind of home he wants or the house that he wants. And, and then he, he counts his money and see how much money is it going to take to build this house? And do I have enough money to build the house? So our Lord used the common things that everyone could identify with in talking about the spiritual truths. And this is especially so as we come today to look at Jesus saying, I am the door of the sheep. Now, everybody knows what a door is. A door is a movable structure for opening or closing the entrance to a room or to a house or to a building. Uh, a door, doors come in all varieties. There are front doors and screen doors and storm doors. Some doors are large like the ones on the vehicle assembly building at Cape Canaveral, Florida. It's 460 feet high. Some doors are very small like the economy car that you might drive. Some doors are plain, others are highly decorated. They're French doors, Dutch doors, double doors, you name it. They're all kinds of doors. Doors have even given rise to a whole vocation. Who hasn't heard of a door-to-door -door salesman? And doors have lent their names to a host of door-related items. They're door jams and doorknobs and doorkeepers and door prizes and door stops and doorbells. If we get bored, 
while we can just go next door and chat with our neighbor. If that doesn't work, you can go hiking in the great outdoors. Or if you get tired of somebody bothering you, you can give them directions and just say, go down past the second door and you can leave, <laughs> okay? Well, when the I am God said, I am the door, everybody knew what he meant. And so today in the moments that remain, I wanna share with you four spiritual truths about Jesus that are illustrated by his metaphor of calling himself the door. I am the door. And the first thing that I would suggest to you is that Jesus Christ is the door to salvation. The door to salvation. Now, in this passage of scripture of John chapter 10, Jesus is talking, among other things, about the sheepfold. The sheepfold would be the structure uh, where uh, he could put his sheep for safety. Now, sometimes I've read that um, several shepherds, if they were inside the city, Jerusalem or Bethlehem or wherever it might have been, uh, they might would get together and, and pool their resources and build one large sheepfold. And, and then at night or during the winter times, they would all put their, their sheep in the same sheepfold. And they would hire somebody who would be the doorkeeper to stand guard and make sure that the sheep did not get out. Now you might say, well, well, wouldn't that be a problem if you had three or four or maybe five or six shepherds who would put their sheep in the same sheep fold, how would they keep them separated? Well, the Lord tells us how. When he talked about the sheep will recognize the voice of their shepherd and other shepherds they will not respond to. I don't know how the Lord did that to create a sheep to be able to recognize his shepherd and his shepherd only. But if you were one of the sheep, uh, shepherds who put your sheep in that huge sheep fold and you went that morning to get your sheep, all you had to do was sound out your voice. They would recognize your voice. And the Bible says that most shepherds had an individual name for every sheep. So maybe he called them by sheep, John, Mark, Mary, Sue, whatever, I'm probably not those names, but nonetheless, he could call them by name. They would recognize his voice and they would come out. Only those sheep who recognized their shepherd's voice would come out, and that's how they would separate them. Now, on the other hand, if you were out in the wilderness or out in the desert or somewhere out from away from the city and you were planning to spend the night there, then in order to protect them from wolves or even thieves who would try to steal them, uh, then you would probably spend part of the day gathering up stones and you would build a makeshift sheepfold, probably high enough so that the sheep could not jump out of it. And in order to keep thieves and robbers from breaking in and stealing a sheep or two, you'd probably put some kind of briar or could use a bob wire, but some kind of sharp pointed branch, you'd line that on the top of there so that they couldn't crawl over it. You'd only have one door to that sheepfold. And uh, the shepherd would literally become the door. Uh, the sheep could only get through, uh, only could get into the sheepfold by passing by the shepherd. I've been told, I read where sometimes he would stand at the door of that entrance and he would examine each sheep as he came across to see if there's anything in his fur or his, his wool, I should say, that, uh, that would be a problem for him. Check his nose because uh, his nose was very important and uh, to keep it clean. 
And uh, so he, he would rub his hand all over each sheep as, as he would pass through him. Then, after all of the sheep got in, he would become the door. He would lay down in the doorway, assuring that none of the sheep could get out without his knowledge, none could get in without his knowledge. He literally himself became the door of the sheepfold. No sheep could get into the sheepfold but through him. And so we take that metaphor, that figure of speech, and apply it spiritually where Jesus is saying, I am the door of salvation. And if any man tries to come into the spiritual sheepfold of heaven by any other means than the way that has been provided, he is a thief and a robber. Now, the thief would be an individual who would try to con somebody smoothly, uh, a nonviolent individual who would try to uh, con you out of your possessions and so forth. A robber, on the other hand, would do something violent in order to, to get what he wants. And he says, in essence, that if you try to get into the kingdom of heaven, if you try to go to heaven through any other means than that which has provided for you, which is me, I am the door to the spiritual sheepfold, you try to get to heaven by good works, you try to get to heaven by being a member of a certain church or a certain denomination or living a certain lifestyle, then you are a thief and a robber because you're saying you're not satisfied and you do not accept the only way that God has provided for a person to be saved. Salvation is not a creed. Salvation is not following a particular code. Salvation is not being a member of a particular church. Salvation is a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the door that allows you entrance into the kingdom of God. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, Paul wrote, And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church. He's talking about God the Father assigning to Jesus the Son the official way into heaven. Now on your outline, I've given you three ideas that develop this idea of Jesus being the door to salvation. And the first thing that I want to say to you uh, is that Christ is the official door. He is the official door. And by that I mean that he has been appointed and given authority by the heavenly father to be the exclusive door to salvation and to heaven. There are passages of scripture that verify this. John 5, 26 and 27 says, For just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. And the Father gave to him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And it is that word authority that God the Father gave to Jesus, his Son, the authority. So by giving to him the authority, Jesus becomes the official appointee of being the door to salvation. Now there are other passages of scripture that are not written out for you. Let me just give you the references if you want them. Acts chapter 10 and verse 42 says, And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that he is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Again, using the word this time, appointed, that God the Father appointed Jesus to be the official judge on the day of judgment. Then there's this passage of scripture, Luke chapter 22 and verse 29 in Luke 22:29, 29, Jesus is talking to his disciples. 
And he is saying to them, I appointed unto you a kingdom as my father has appointed to me a kingdom. Again, underscoring his official authorized charge and commandment and appointment from God the Father to be the door of salvation. Not only is he the official door, but secondly, he is the only door. The only door. There are not many ways to heaven. There's only one way. And that is the official way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just at, at Noah's ark, there weren't many doors to Noah's ark. There was only one door. It was a side door. Now, there was a window that allowed them to look up, but there was only one door into the, into the ark that Moses built. And none of the animals nor any member of his family could get inside the ark without going through that door. You remember when the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, they had a tabernacle uh, that was made of a, a, a tent and had all of the, the things that were necessary to worship the Lord in those days through, through the tabernacle. But there weren't many doors to the tabernacle. There was only one door that, that allowed a person to enter the tabernacle and it had to be by the brazen altar where the sacrifices of animals were given through shed blood. That's the only way that they could have gotten in there. And those are illustrations that say to us, there's not many ways to heaven, there's only one. And that one way is the Lord Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Christ is the official door. Christ is the only door. And the third thing I say to you is that Christ is the open door. He is the open door. John chapter 10, you're in John chapter 10, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, I am the door. Those are the words of Jesus. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If anyone will enter in. So the door of salvation is open to anyone who's willing to respond to the convicting and wooing power of the Holy Spirit to come to Jesus Christ who alone can give you eternal life and the salvation and forgiveness of your sins. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, the most beloved and most quoted verse in all the Bible perhaps, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever will. Whosoever will may come, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So the Lord's salvation is available to anyone who will follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, be convicted of their sin and of their need to be saved, and realize that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you, the only way that can get you into heaven, and you turn to Jesus and accept him as your Lord and your Savior. God does not want you to go to hell. He wants you to go to heaven, and he has provided the means by which you can go. You remember when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talked about how important it was for you to enter into the straight and the narrow gate uh, because broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction. The word gate there can also be translated door. You know, there's only one door. There's the wide door and the, and the, and the narrow door. So you have to choose which one you're going in through. So Christ is the door to salvation. Here's the second thing. Not only is Christ the door to salvation, but Christ is the door to security. The door to security. 
Now, going back to the first verse of John chapter 10, he, he talks about uh, the door of the fold of the sheep. Uh, verse 2, he says, but he who enters by the door uh, of any other way, uh, or he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. Now, I, I think the first three verses are, are references to uh, that multiple uh, collection of sheep that I was talking about where in the city, several shepherds would get together and put all of their sheep in the same place and then they would hire or appoint one of the shepherds to stand at the gate, the door leading, leading into that and he wouldn't allow anyone to get in or out and uh, you, you had to go through that doorkeeper that, that, uh, in order to get to your sheep. And so Jesus is saying that, that he is the doorkeeper and as that doorkeeper would keep the sheep safe, or if you were out in the field and you were the gate where they came into your makeshift sheepfold, they couldn't get in without you. They had to go through you. They had to go through you to get out. So there was security there. There was safety there. They, they were in a place where they could be protected. And that's what I'm saying to you, that Jesus Christ not only is the door to salvation, but once you experience his salvation and receive his salvation and you're born again, you are eternally secure. You are in the divine heavenly sheepfold of almighty God and there is nothing nor anyone who can get to you and destroy you or take away your eternal life. It is just that it is eternal. Now look, if, if you would, at uh, verse 9 in chapter 10, verse 9, uh, Jesus said about going in and out, you shall go in and out. So there would be times during the day if he was out in the field where he would want to take his sheep to the green pastures or to the still waters uh, and he, he would take them out there but he would go with them. His rod and his staff would comfort them as Psalm 23 says. And so there was security not only in the fold but when they went outside the fold going in and out, he was with them and giving them the security that they desired. Notice also, you're still in chapter 10. Look at verse three. He says, to him the doorkeeper opens. Now again, get in your mind, here's this large fold, we've got multiple flocks in it. The doorkeeper is there, the shepherd comes to get his sheep. So the doorkeeper opens the door to the shepherd. Now notice, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He doesn't drive them, we're told that shepherds in that part of the world don't drive their sheep, it's not like driving cattle. The shepherd gets out in front, and he leads them and they follow him, which suggests to me, if there's any danger out there that lies ahead of them, the shepherd meets it first before the sheep does. And he's got his staff and he's got his rod and he's going to protect his sheep. You know, Jesus uh, goes on in uh, this same uh, chapter, we'll look at it uh, uh, at another sermon, uh, where he says the, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now that's unheard of. Do you know of a sheep that you'd be willing to die for? If you are a cattle person where you have a lot of cattle, is there a cow or a bull or a calf somewhere that you'd be willing to die for in order to save their lives? I doubt it. And yet Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. Of course, he's not talking about just sheep. It's a metaphor. He's talking about you and me. He's talking about your love and, and his care for you. And he's willing to, yes, lay down into life. And he did. On the cross of Calvary, Christ laid down his life for you so that you could be saved. And so when he leads you, 
He, he may lead you down a, a difficult path. He, he may lead you into an area that's very dangerous, but that's just the key. He leads you. You follow him and he will protect you. In verse four, he says, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. Uh, repeat, but just in different words. He leads them and he goes ahead of them in order to protect you. Whatever comes to us must first be met by him and passed through him. Now, this idea of eternal security is continued in chapter 10. If you're in chapter 10, just skip down to verse 27. In verse 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So notice in this passage of Scripture, what kind of life does Jesus give to us? It's eternal. Notice he says in verse 28, I give eternal life to them. Well, how long is eternal? It is unending. He doesn't give you temporary life. He doesn't let you be saved for a week or a month or 10 years and then you do something and you suddenly lose your salvation and you got to be saved all over again. If that's true, then you didn't have eternal life to begin with. You only had a week's worth or a month's worth or 10 years worth, then you lost it and you had to get it back again. No, no. Jesus didn't say, I give you temporary life. He says, I give to you eternal life. It doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment you get saved. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he gives to you eternal life. Eternal life means eternal means life. It means forever. Notice in verse 28, he says he will never perish. Never. Well, what does never mean? Never means never. <laughs> It just means it had never happened to you. You will never perish. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would never perish. So even when it comes time for you to die, you don't cease to exist. Death for the Christian is when you leave this body and you go into the presence of the living God. He's given you eternal life and you will never, 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 never perish. You understand what never means? <laughs> Notice furthermore in verse 28, he says, nobody's going to snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus has us in his hands. But more than that, look at verse 29. He says, my father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. So I'm in the hands of Jesus and Jesus is in the hand of the father. I've got double protection. Talking about an insurance policy <laughs> guarantees eternal life. And that's the kind of life that Jesus gives to you. Now, before we get away from all of this, I want you to take your Bibles, keep your place here, but turn over into the Old Testament or turn your pages over. Don't, you can't get in the Bible to turn it over. So just turn to Psalm 121, Psalm 121. <clears throat> Psalm 121 this has become some of my, my favorite verses in the Bible. I'm reading out of the New American Standard, so it may read a little different than yours, but boy, you're talking about the Lord taking care of you and protecting you. This is the chapter that does it. Psalm 121, the first eight verses. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now notice verse three. 
He will not allow your foot to slip. He will not allow it. Jesus has the authority. He is God. He is your savior. He's given to you eternal life. He's going to keep you and no one will ever be allowed to take you away from him. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Now you may have a translation that renders the word keeps as watch. He who watches over you will never slumber. Well, if you're watching over someone, what are you doing? You're making sure they're okay. You're keeping watch over them. You're keeping them secure. So to watch over someone or to keep someone, same thing. And so he's just saying, he, will, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you. The word protect, same word in the Hebrew language as keep. The Lord will protect you or keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard or protect or keep or watch over your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So it's there. He'll not allow. He'll keep. He's the keeper. He protects. He guards. What else can the Lord say to you to assure you of your eternal salvation than to say that? He will keep you secure. Notice number three, not only Christ is the door to salvation and the door to security, but Jesus is the door to sufficiency. The door to sufficiency. When you have Jesus, you have everything that you, that you need. Look at John chapter 10 and verses nine and 10. John 10, nine and 10. I am the door. If anyone enters in through me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I've come that you may have life. And what kind of life? That you might have it abundantly. Abundantly. Now in verse 9, notice again, he says he will be saved. Not he might be saved or eventually will be saved. But he said he will be saved. That's another verse about security. Anyone who enters the sheepfold by the door, who I am the door, you come into me, you will be saved. It's not joining the church. It's not getting baptized. It's not getting uh, living by good works. Uh, so it's not of works lest you should boast. It's all by the grace of Almighty God. And, and when you, you come to Jesus, you, you will be saved, period. Okay. And then he says, you'll go in and out. Go in and out. What you go? You're going to find pasture. Well, what does pasture mean to a sheep? Boy, he's hungry and he wants to be fed. And so the, so the shepherd has already gone in advance and scouted out the best pasture, the greenest, most nu uh, nutritious place that he can take his sheep. And he takes his sheep out there and he just lets them just graze and, and munch on the grass and, and just till they get their little bellies full. And then they go lay down in the shade and just, uh, you know, chew that food and bring it back up and regurgitate it and swallow it again and do it again all over again and, 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 and they, they need that nourishment. And, and the green pasture is sufficient for them. He says, I'll lead you by still waters. I'm told that a sheep will not drink out of running water, a stream. He has to take them to a place where the water is still because they frighten easily. And so uh, he takes them to the still waters that are calm and peaceful so that they can drink. So the idea is that the shepherd is taking care of his sheep and he's going to provide for them and that the shepherd is sufficient in providing the needs of the sheep. He gives them protection, he gives them food and he gives them water 
He has a name for each one of them. He cares about his sheep and he tends his flock and he takes care of them. You know, when the Lord called you to salvation, to follow him, he did not call you to live a dull, lifeless, mediocre, miserable existence that squelches the joy out of life. No, Christ has called you to a rich, full, joyful, and a life that is overflowing with meaningful activities and nourishment and anything and everything that you need, he will supply for you through his grace. As Paul said, that God will supply your every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The fourth and final thing that I point out to you is that Christ is the door to service. The door to service. And I get this idea from the ninth verse where he says that the sheep will go in and go out. What other reasons do they go in and they go out? Well, what are sheep for? I mean, is all a sheep worth is just to go out and to eat in green pastures and to drink water and sleep? Well, no, sheep have a purpose. Where do you get wool? From sheep. You shear the sheep and get the wool. You make clothing and garments out of it. Uh, you, you can get milk from sheep. You can get skin from sheep. You can get cheese from sheep. You can get meat, lamb, and mutton from a sheep. So sheep have other reasons for existing and purposes than just eating green grass and drinking still water. They provide the necessities of life. A lamb is a, in the sheep family, would he not be, I suppose? Not that kind of a farmer, but I'm, I'm thinking, but wasn't it a lamb that was slain for the, for the sins of mankind? You know, you remember when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they sinned by disobeying and taking the fruit that God said, don't take that fruit, you'll die. And they took it anyway and, and, and they eventually died, but they died immediately in the spirit. They were naked. And up until that point, they were innocent. They, they didn't realize they were naked. And, and when the Lord saw Adam and Eve, he said, where you been? He didn't ask that question because he didn't know where they were. He asked it for, he asked it for, for their benefit. Adam said, we heard your voice. We were afraid and we went and hid ourselves. Who told you you were naked? Have you taken of the forbidden fruit? Oh, yes, he had. They were naked. But then it says in the scriptures that God took some skin and clothed their nakedness. Where did he get that skin? Well, it meant that some animal in the Garden of Eden had to die so that the Lord could take the skin of that animal and cover their nakedness. I believe, I have no way of proving it, but I believe that that animal in that Garden of Eden was a lamb. And I get it, when you, when you go over to Egypt and they're in the bondage of Egypt and the death angel is coming, what were the instructions? You take a lamb. And, and you slay it. And you take the blood of that lamb and you put it over the top of the door and on the sides. So that when the death angel sees that blood, he'll pass over that house and he won't go into that house and the firstborn won't die. So I think it was a lamb. And uh, then when Jesus was on this earth, John the Baptist pointed him out to his disciples saying, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So even a lamb has lain down its life for your salvation. 
And so sheep have a, have a reason for existing and I'm not gonna take the time to go into all the, the, the preparations that you and I do uh, as, as his sheep. We know that God gives us gifts and empowers us uh, to, to do his will. Let me come now because it's time for us to, to get into our invitation. So let me, let me say this to you if I may. Again, looking at verse nine, Jesus said, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is saying, you want salvation? You want to live forever? You want to be forgiven of your sins? I'm the way. He wasn't being egotistical. He was just telling you the truth because he was the embodiment of truth. God, we believe he was God. God cannot lie, will not lie to you. The only thing Jesus will say to you is the truth. You know, over in the prophecy of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah and verse six, Isaiah, several hundred years before Jesus was ever born said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That was a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus ever came up on the scene. And, and he was saying, all of you are like sheep. Every one of you, everyone, every one of you in the choir, everyone up there in the balcony, everyone who's down in the lower auditorium, because we have basement balcony uh, Baptist now. We have about 30, 40 people who, who are worshiping with us down in the lower auditorium. We got some on the back seat there even worshiping us, okay? <laughs> every one of us, there's not a single soul in this building or in the entire world who hasn't sinned in one, some way or another. Every last one of us have gone our own way. We said no to Jesus, I'm going to do this and we went right on and did it. And when we turned away from Jesus and disobeyed him and broke one of his commandments, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that makes you a sinner and without the salvation that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God provides for you, you'll not go to heaven, you will go to hell. And you try to get into heaven in any other way, living a good life, being a good person, all that's great and fine. But for salvation, no, sir. There's only one way. And you've got to turn to Jesus Christ who is the Lamb of God who gave his life for you and accept him. What is meant by the words enter through me is that it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. Why should you remain a wandering sheep outside the fold. When Jesus is the door or the doorway to an abundant life and to eternal life, and oh, what joy will be yours if you'll just walk through that door. May we bow together. <clears throat> Salvation is too important, Lord, for us to play around with. This is serious business. And we realize that the opportunity to be saved might not always be with us. Paul said in the book of Corinthians that today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the acceptable time. The Holy Spirit will not always bring conviction to your heart and, and woo you, as we say, encouraging you and enticing you to, to open your heart and life to Jesus. And so if you feel that compression, and that impression 
uh, from the Lord now. You need to yield now. You need to open up your, the door of your heart to, to receive Jesus. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. Don't, don't say, oh, that's just a Baptist way of talking and whatever. It's not all true, but it is. So help me, God. And I pray today that if the Lord is speaking to your heart with your head bowed, that you would say a prayer like this. Oh, Lord Jesus, I confess to you that I have sinned. I believe that Jesus is your son. And Jesus, I'm asking you now to forgive me of my sins. I, I accept your sacrifice on the cross as a sacrifice for my sins. And I love you for it. And I'm asking you to come into my heart I accept you as my savior. Forgive me of my sins. And I will live for you from this day forth to bring honor and glory to you. In your name I pray, amen. If you're here today and you have just now prayed that prayer for the first time or if you have prayed a similar prayer like that before but you've never made it public, that's why we give an invitation at the end of our services, not to make it difficult for you or to embarrass you in any way. The Bible says there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Jesus said, confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. We want to get in on the joy that you're having of having been saved. And so if you're here today to trust Christ, we welcome you to come forward, encourage you to do so. If you're here and you're a church member somewhere else, but you feel that this is where God would have you to come and place your membership in your life to be with us as a part of First Baptist family, then we welcome you. Andre's going to lead us. Let's all stand, please. And as we sing, you come. Thank you.